So, Ian, we have a special episode of the podcast today. Do you want to explain to the listeners what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So one of my uh, good friends from my days in Division on Ministries with Young People, um, uh, his name is Derek Scott. He's the lay leader of the Florida Annual Conference, uh, and he works in campus ministry. He is starting uh, this this podcast called Bar of the Conference, which... uh, is the term that we use to talk about like the, the boundary of the conference when the 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 annual conference or general conference or jurisdictional conference is meeting like if you are inside the bar of the conference you're allowed to and your delegate you're allowed to vote you're allowed to make speeches for or against make amendments all that fun stuff it does not refer to a um a bar in the conference where you can drink although that would make conference maybe uh maybe better maybe 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 it would make holy conferencing better i don't know maybe it would make it worse though we we've seen how the u.s government is structured and they were wasted the whole time so yeah uh, he's in the the early uh, i think he calls it the, the this is the beta stage of the podcast and i had a wonderful chat with him about holy conferencing as a as a term and reflections on uh, my experience as a general and jurisdictional conference delegate for a number of years. And uh, yeah, we just had a good time chatting about it. And we're dropping it here on the main feed for, for you to listen to. And we'll have Derek on sometime in the future to talk more about the podcast and his ministry and everything that's going on. And uh, if you like what you hear, his first episode was with a friend of the pod, Jeremy Smith. Oh, um, so go listen to that. They drop episodes weekly. So listeners enjoy the second episode of Bar of the Conference and then go subscribe to them wherever the podcasts are found. Hi, friends. Welcome to Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. Thanks for listening in. We're still in beta mode, still figuring out things like microphones and levels and length of show. So I appreciate you bearing with us. But I am so excited to share with you this episode with Ian Uriola. Ian is a lay chaplain and director of spiritual development and outreach at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. He's a lay member to the Upper New York Annual Conference, a cradle Methodist and conference junkie since 2009. I have so much respect and, and love for Ian. I love the way that he thinks and the energy that he brings to these conversations, the strength of his communication. And y'all, he is an emerging leader in our denomination. We had a long, wide-ranging conversation about holy conferencing. And when I say long, I mean like two and a half hours long. Now, this episode won't be that long, don't worry. But it's just to tell you that like, yeah, we went deep into this conversation, the good and the bad, the hopeful and the harmful of holy conferencing, we get into commentary, and yes, we name some names. It was an honor to give Ian space to articulate his experience and perspective, his insights and ideas of how we might get closer to a true spirit of holy conferencing. It was challenging, but I also think it was instructive and in that inspiring as well. So I invite you to grab your notebooks, to maybe grab a choice beverage and listen in to this really great conversation with Ian Uriola. I think you're really gonna appreciate it. 
Ian, so good to be with you. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing, Derek? I am well. I'm super well. Um, appreciated your presence in the United Methodist Church. We met at uh, Discipleship Ministries, uh, Division of Ministries of Young People, yes. uh, DMYP, and uh, and I, I when I first encountered you, I'll just I'll just be honest for mm -hmm. the beta podcast. Um, yeah. You, I was so intimidated by oh, you. No. I was, because you you arrive with such a wealth of knowledge and um and an ability to communicate that, um, but not in a way that is like method nerdy, which okay. I feel like most of the way that I communicate <laughs> polity and structure and stuff is like very like just put people to sleep and you have oh. no hope. <laughs> so I just I'm a freak, but then uh, being at um, general conference together in those spaces as well, um, they're just—I just have a deep respect for you and the just the way that you have continued to be a part of the continued evolution of our denomination. And so, I thought it'd be really cool to get you on the podcast, particularly in this beta season that yeah. we're in. But I and I definitely want to get to some of the the really really good juicy stuff. Um, but I, I I do think that. We, there's this um, there's just this thing that happened in 2019 with elections where a number of folks were elected in response to the traditional plan passing. Mm -hmm. But many of those folks, um, and we're thankful for those elections, by the way, because it was, you know, some of the diver most diverse uh, delegations, depending on where you were, um, including age. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so we had a number of folks who got elected because of their passion and because of their desire to see the United Methodist Church move in a very specific direction. I can't say that all of those folks were elected because they have all of this vast experience in United Methodism and sure. deep understanding of how our church works. Um, and so I thought it'd be good if we could get just a scope of the conferencing structure of the United Methodist Church, such a big, big topic. But as I was thinking about like, how can we like break this down in a way that would be like manageable and like people could really take it in. Yeah, my buddy Ian, um, I, 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 got, I got to reach out. So <laughs> I am going to be quiet. I'd love for you to just kind of walk us through what is conferencing and, and how do we do it uh, in the United Methodist Church. Yeah. So uh, uh, just real quick for some like historical context. And uh, I think one of the things that I, I heard at one point uh, that really made everything click for me um, is that our conferencing structure as a church, as a denomination way back in the 18th century, uh, as as the Methodist Church was was being created, um, you know we got that uh, Christmas con uh, Christmas conference, uh, Asbury, Coke, all that. We know all these names. Um, are there like this? This structure is being created at, in the same place and uh, at the same time and by some of the same people that created the like structure of the US federal government. Um, and 
I really, uh, really think that the today the best way to wrap your head around how our church works is we are like an ecclesial federal structure. Like we're federalism uh, at a church at the at the church level, um, where uh, we we have. Um, this connectional nature where uh, churches are connected to each, well, disciples are connected to each other through a local congregation and local congregations are connected to each other through a district and districts are connected to each other through an annual conference. And the annual conference um, is basically the equivalent of uh, of a state of a state government um, in uh, the U.S. context, and uh, you get a bunch of annual conferences together uh, in connection, and you got the general church um, is is how this started, and it's evolved and adapted and changed throughout um, the the, the two hundred years that we've been uh, doing this thing called Methodism in the United States. Um, and we've, we've added on other elements of federalism. We, we now have a Supreme court as well. Um, but, uh, yeah. So from, from the, from the, 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 from the bottom up, the top down, like we are all about, uh, representative government, representative well, federal government. And let me, let me just point and and I really want to mark this and I love again this is why I asked you to do this because just the way you described from disciples who are connected to each other in local congregations which are connected to it and you can't use that term connected to each other and I think that that one it's a term that we often hear connection but I love that that's literally how you're starting this conversation for us these are webs of relationships yeah. Um, in a in in the last episode of of this podcast, uh, Jeremy Smith, one of the last things he said uh, that's still like getting me is like his hope for the future of the UMC is that we would be more focused on the quality of our Wesleyan relationships and the quantity of people in our pews. And mm-hmm. that what you just t- talked about this this disciples connected to each other in which is connected like that to me is this right and luck step with that so i just wanted to stop yeah, and just yeah. lift that up and name that okay i'll let you continue on ian um i am i've got my notebook let's go awesome yeah no because that's that's like um it's it's this proclamation and at like that we're, we're not a bunch of independent congregations or like uh, we're not like discipleship doesn't happen in isolation. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't happen at the individual level in isolation. It doesn't happen at the denominational level in isolation. Um, uh, my uh, my senior pastor back home at Asbury First um, every every Sunday talks uh, like he says. You know, Asbury First is not a perfect place, but we are more perfect uh, together, uh, hmm. and we are more perfect because of our togetherness um uh asbury first uh no well no individual disciple can do it all no individual local congregation can do it all no individual annual conference can do it all um 
but it's because in our it's our it's our connection that that makes us strong, that um, allows us to through the power of the Holy Spirit do wonderful life transforming, world transforming things. Mm, mm, amen. Amen. So why conferencing? Yeah. So um, I think uh, in one sense, uh, conferencing is a thing that we have to, we have to do business, right? Mm -hmm. I think we have this tendency in our church, in our, uh, in our denomination to over, overly baptize a lot of our work, a lot of our business and uh, put spiritual language over everything that we do. Uh, when in reality, you know, it's like some things there, there are like realities, uh, business realities, um, political realities of the work that we do. And uh, conferencing is a way to do it um, that ideally, I really think the Holy Spirit to be at work in it. And I know I just talked about, we baptize everything that we do, um, but it's this, it's this sense that, again, I don't have all the answers to the problems of our denomination. You don't have all the answers to the problem of our denominations. Uh, no individual pastor, no group of pastors, no bishop, no congregation has all of the answers to our problems. But together, like when we confer and engage in this holy conferencing work, um, we can get a clearer picture of what that uh, answer might be mm -hmm. um, as to how to most effectively, most faithfully, most efficiently do the work that we're called to do. Um, and conferencing uh, a lot like a lot like our worship on Sunday morning, conferencing provides us a way to stop and assess and regroup um, almost like a, to, to huddle, right? And say, mm -hmm. okay, um, <laughs> we all know where everyone is going. We all know what people are doing. Uh, you do this, I do this, we're, go we're gonna do it and, and break. And then we go and we do the work, right? Um, it's really fun to watch a football team run a no huddle uh, offense, but it can get chaotic, and that's when uh, bad things happen. Do you think our model of conferencing is effective? Um, I do not. <laughs> um, I it's it's a model that maybe worked in the 18th 19th early 20th century maybe hmm. um but we are very limited 
and like we we tie our hands behind our back through our conferencing structure um, because these meetings these business meetings that we're talking about happen very uh infrequently maybe even like uh like uh so at the charge conference level like they're like you can call special charge conferences and that's not going to disrupt the annual the 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 work of the local church too much mm-hmm. um but you get up to the top and you're calling special general conference sessions and that's like millions of dollars <laughs> right in in investment to like come together and like do one thing and then we all disperse again but these meetings last for uh general conference lasts for two weeks and you might be thinking that and like wow that's a that's a long time to be gathering and meeting but like that's two weeks every four years mm-hmm. um two weeks every four years and um we talked about how annual conference is like this big reunion for uh, both the clergy and the laity. Like my, a lot of my really good friends uh, in partners in ministry as a lay person were developed by going to annual conference and meeting other United Methodists uh, lay people at my annual conference meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't happen as much at the jurisdictional uh, or the general conference level Um, because we put all this pressure on the general conference by saying this is the only time when anything major can happen and uh, people maybe serve one term, two terms. We do have veteran three terms, four terms, five terms, just Mm -hmm. keep going and going because they're gluttons for punishment. (laughs) (laughs) Gluttons for punishment is the most uh, charitable read of the situation. Uh, But like there's, there's, there's less opportunity for real relationship work to happen in those spaces in the general conference space. Um, and I think it's part and parcel of the fact that we meet for two weeks, once every four years. Um, and then, you know, in the off time, like we can have a George Floyd situation. We can have a, a once in a generation racial reckoning and the denomination actually can't do anything about it. Right, right. At a denominational level. <laughs> and mm. so you have then a bunch of like annual conferences or churches or uh, doing doing their own thing or trying to trying to coordinate something, but there can't be anything like at the denominational level that says we stand <laughs> against racism. Uh, and this is this is a this is a injustice what happened. Mm. Um, when a shooting happens, there's no like way to say that the United Methodist Church like condemns this particular instance of gun violence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, We as individual disciples, we as annual conferences, we as local churches can say, 
yes, we stand against this, but we can't together in one voice say we stand against this or we stand for this. Um, we, we can't make changes to our vision, to our, uh, to, to the way we do things. And then we're stuck when we get there in the, in a way of doing business that, um, works more effectively when everyone is in already in relationship with each other. Yeah. Robert's, uh, Robert's rules is, uh, by and large, how we do our business at the annual conference, at the jurisdictional conference, at the general conference level. Um, and it works when everyone knows each other and we can all presume like some level of like goodwill towards each other. Ideally. <laughs> Ideally. Ideally. <laughs> um, and it's, it's again, it's a structure. It's a, like, it's a structured way of having these conversations. Um, but because of, because we don't have those relationships between delegates, uh, it, is weaponized. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I've thought a lot about how to like fix that problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only thing that I can come up with is uh, establishing a uh, making rather making making general conference a, a permanent legislature, uh, a permanent professional legislature. Wow. Um, wow, that's a that's a that's a suggestion. <laughs> wow. Yeah, where where like again, so you keep the same parity between laity and clergy, uh, but like clergy lay lay and clergy are elected from the annual conferences to go and serve, and like that's your job. Then, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and that that becomes your ministry as as being a general conference representative. <laughs> that becomes your vocation in this time, and you get real and you have to get reelected or un or unreelected or or not. But you can go back to whatever you were doing before that. But yeah, I I'm in awe of this suggestion. <laughs> I, I don't even know what the, of all the things I thought you were going to say, Ian, this was not one of the things. Um, I, I, I'll say that, um, gosh, you are such a wealth of information and, and thoughtfulness. I, I, you know, I asked you that question, is, is our, our way of conferencing effective? I asked that um, because I think that it probably at best in my most generous um, and I don't mind being generous, I'm here for it, but sure. at my most generous, I would say that it has had some effectiveness up until COVID. Mm -hmm. And if COVID were just a one thing that just shook things up for one year and then life got back to normal, then I'd say, but now that COVID's quote unquote, y'all can't see me with my air quotes, quote unquote, over, um, it's not over. Um, the, the, you know, because we are living in a post, uh, living with COVID probably is the best way yeah. to say it, unfortunately, living with COVID. Um, that you could possibly say that, but the, the truth is everything that just did actually is, is, is my point. The world is different 
top to bottom because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if the way we've done, I think that the reason we do conferencing, the ethos underneath conferencing is great and distinctive for us. I think that the method we've used to work out our conferencing, particularly at the general church level, definitely needs some attention. Um, I would, I would, uh, I would uh, just tweak it just a little bit. I, the world is exactly the same. Mm. Pre and post COVID, like pre and post COVID, COVID like opened our eyes to like the realities of like our problem, and now uh, COVID COVID changed us. COVID didn't change the world. There was there was always the structural inequities. Um, we are. Uh, a lot of people will talk about you know general conference uh, being like the United Nations. <laughs> Mm. Right. Um, when really, really like I, I push back on that image when sure we have active simultaneous translation. It's 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 a it's a Congress. It's 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 our Congress. It's our U.S. Congress. And we talk about like we have just colonialism in our like DNA because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the central conferences had the same visa challenges in 2016, 2012, 2008, that they would have had in 2020, 2024, 2028. Mm. Um, There is still the same like U.S. centricness of our denomination, even though we purport to be a global denomination. We, uh, we have this, we, we're a, U.S. denomination with colonial outposts, and that's that's a sin. That's that's wrong. Hmm. Uh, and I hope when we get to the when we get to the last question, I hope that we can fix that and re- repent and repair that um, from that. But that's where we're at right now. Well, Ian, let's take a quick break. Okay. So Ian, I do remember you being on the floor of General Conference 2019. I remember you coming to the mic a few times. I think we might have interfaced about different plans and and stuff. What what's your and we know how 2019 turned out, the traditional plan passed. Mm-hmm. Um and uh that created um I think in some respects the catalyst for the, the the United Methodist world we're living in now um, and the reaction response to it. Mm-hmm. But on the ground of General Conference 2019, what's still, what's staying with you from that experience and particularly around the way that that holy conferencing, if you will, happened, what's still with you um, from that? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've... Uh... <laughs> Uh, talked quite a bit about uh, 2019 in therapy mm. uh, <laughs> because that was it was such a uh, traumatic experience. Mm. Um, it it 
really was a like as a as a delegate um it 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 uh, really emptied myself out i felt i felt like it mm-hmm. um and um again it's generally like it's it's this pressure cooker environment um that that is our holy conferencing model um where uh tensions and emotions are notched up to 11 um they're really like relationships are strained yeah um, in in this in this model uh if uh, if there were any relationships to begin with like because you're also like trying to form and forge new relationships uh through this um, yeah 2019 general conference had the the benefit kind of of being uh a special session so by and large it was the same people that were at the 2016 general conference right again every everything can change like i think the new york annual conference elected a new delegation for the special session of 2019 Hmm. um but um and you know i was a reserve delegate in 2016 i ended up being a full delegate because there was a shift in our lay roster Mm -hmm. um our first elected lay person went and joined the ranks of the clergy in between and so uh, once once you become a clergy person as a delegate, you, as a lay delegate, you you're no longer a lay delegate. <laughs> so right. uh, you can't you can't serve anymore. So I I bumped up, um, and for I I was a part of some uh, conversations initially, like going into it. Not not a ton. I was uh, more of my conversations happened after 2019 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um but the the trying to fight the 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 disinformation around the the one church plan mm-hmm. um, and i can say this now like the one church plan like for me would have been a very bitter pill to swallow mm-hmm. um, i i was really not in favor of it um, because of the way it, the ways in which it codified, it would have codified uh, discrimination um, and uh, allowed for discrimination to happen explicitly uh, against LGBTQI plus people. Um, I was, I was pulling for the the simple plan uh, at that point which um was initially introduced in 2016 um and it all the simple plan did was just remove it just removed all of the harmful language like the around incompatibility with christian teaching homosexuality being the the practice of homosexuality being incompatible with christian teaching around uh prohibitions on same-sex uh marriages or self-avowed practicing homosexual what uh, a term what a term term. what a what a term um from from acting uh from from 
being ordained, it would have just removed. It didn't, it wouldn't explicitly allow, but it just removed. And so I think, I really think in effect, like you would have had the same outcome as the one church plan with the simple. Mm. Mm. Uh, like you would have still had regionalization. You would have had annual conferences where like de facto, like would not be ordaining uh queer clergy candidates uh mm-hmm. you would still have united methodist congregations that wouldn't do same-sex weddings uh or pastors that wouldn't do same-sex weddings um but the difference was it didn't like explicitly say yeah that's okay that's allowed mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I th- and i think that's like for me like the the big thing about like general conference and our general church structure is um we 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 have like all these lofty ideals and stated values as a denomination that we don't live into that we like we fail we fail to rise up to them uh but at least they're there and they're stated clearly um we are as a denomination like racism is not okay like it is it is it is not a like you uh, an annual conference cannot like deny someone be ordained because they are black or hispanic or uh native american or anything that's not white (laughs) right right Uh, like if a a pass a church cannot refuse a pastor because they are not white uh same thing with uh same thing with women like you can like it like women like cannot be barred from ordination simply because they're women is, mm-hmm. is, is our goal. Now, does that mean that racism is not still a thing in our denomination? Of course not. There is uh like there are like implicit and explicit barriers to well, mostly implicit. Um in some places explicit barriers for people who are not white towards becoming ordained. (laughs) There are barriers that women face towards becoming ordained. Um, And there are barriers that like um, these disenfranchised, minoritized uh, individuals and communities face once they're in ministry, once they're in these leadership positions. even though we have these stated ideals and values at the denominational level, um, like it doesn't change the fact that we still have these problems deep in our, in the, in our web of relationships in our, um, and so that's for me, why, like, why would we codify discrimination? Yeah. uh, as as a as a as a value, <laughs> like and say we're okay with it because that's only going to make the discrimination worse. You know, I I, I was a uh, I was supportive of the one church plan in in some respects because uh, it did seem like a a, a bridge to the next phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do remember. And I'm I'm recalling this. I don't remember exactly who said it. If they want to send me a message and say it was me, that's cool. I'll give you credit in the show notes for sure. But I remember someone came up to me, not at 2019, but before 2019, just unpacking some of the plans. And 
they we were talking about this codifying of discrimination of queer people and the ways that there's a way of looking at the one church plan that that's what it does is that it tells you that it's okay uh, to do that. And they, they likened it unto the central conference in the U S for black United Methodist mm-hmm. and the ways that that yeah. was this, compromise but in it being a compromise it dehumanized mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i i i think that is one of the issues that we um i'm going to put myself in the category that some people don't will not put me in but i i will leave myself there the problem with us centrist at times or the complicating factor mm-hmm. for us centrist is that we can be so focused on compromising that we inadvertently punish, dehumanize, marginalize, and diminish a s- certain voices. Because we're trying to, we, we've decided to center a very specific voice mm. at the expense of another. Um, and, we, and I just say, as someone who supported the One Church Plan, I heard that criticism of the One Church Plan, and I still am wrestling with that criticism of the One Church Plan, because you're sitting at, you know, 2019, and you just want us to, like, stay together. Um, You know, it's sort of like, I just want to keep the peace. Um, And yet, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't, am I voting for an equivalent to the you know, Black United Methodist Central Conference. Like, am I? Is that what I'm doing? Um, so I'm I'm curious, and I'll just I'll, I'll lean in a little bit here, then I'm gonna move us along. Mm-hmm. Was 2019 Holy Conferencing? Was General Conference 2019 Holy Conferencing? Oh man, No, I don't mm. think so. Um, again, like I, I don't know that like holy conferencing has happened at the general conference level mm. Mm. Uh, in a really long time, maybe um, uh, because of uh, all of the the barriers to it that I talked about. I, do I think they're like? There were holy moments, absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, in in twenty in uh, during General Conference, twenty nineteen. Um, the sparks of of joy, flashes of joy, um, flashes of um, uh, lament, lots of lament. Lament is holy. Mm. Uh, protest. When once the when the traditional plan passed and you know we erupted into the uh, that protest on mm-hmm. in the bar of the conference like that was holy, um, but there was not uh, real like. Holy con- like the holy conferencing does require trust and relationship. Yeah. 
and it's just not a thing that was um, in in high supply during 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a real trust problem in our denomination. Absolutely. Yeah. Where, uh, because we are so disconnected from each other, because mm. we, and, and this is, we, we, we get to, uh, we get to like the big thing, the general conference, the jurisdictional conference, even the annual conference even. Uh, and we, we do the big thing and we're like, oh man, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we got to make sure that doesn't happen again. And we're going to, we're going to be intentional and we're going to be, uh, we're going to try to stay connected to each other in the interim and life gets in the way. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and other things happen and suddenly, oh my God, like it's general conference again. <laughs> like there has yeah. been no relationship building that has happened. Uh, even, even like to the, the delegates usually are elected like a year before the session happens. And like, there's no, there's no like intentional, like relationship building, uh, among delegates, hmm. uh, even even like within an annual conference delegation, like to like that can be that can be a, a heavy lift um, to get like annual conferences having like inter annual conference or inter jurisdictional delegation informal meetings just to like get to know each other and be together. Right. But we make we make it much harder than it has to be. Wow. I, I agree with you that I don't know if much holy conferencing took place in at 20, 2019. Decisions were made. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that they were decisions made um, through the space that we call holy conferencing, but I'm sure there are folks sitting in different seats that would uh, see it a different way. I'm going to move us along because uh, we could commiserate <laughs> across so much after 2019 and then the annual conference elections for what we believed was going to be a 2020 general conference and then the release of the protocol mm -hmm. which was supposed to be the thing and then covid which uh postponed at once then twice nice. and then a third time and upon that third third postponement the launch of the GMC happened. Mm. I'm just taking us through a very quick and dirty timeline. Yep. And we find out that we're allowed to have and we need to have jurisdictional conferences to elect new bishops because we have bishops that have retired and need to retire. And we are going to not have the kind of Episcopal leadership that we need to continue to function as a church that has witness and work to do in the world. So we had out of order <laughs> jurisdictional conferences in November of 2022. I was in the Southeastern jurisdiction. Oh, what a time. Oh, what a time. You had a, and you had a party. We had, a, we had, it was a time. Um, and you were in the Northeastern jurisdiction. Yes. And, and you were a delegate. I was. Uh, to the NEJ. I'm curious how we're now a couple of months at the time of recording this, we're into 2023, just a few days in. 
Um, so you've had two months mm -hmm. to sort of digest the election of only one bishop, the postponement of the second one. Mm -hmm. What's front of mind for you in reflection of that now? Um, so, I mean, uh, what's front of mind for me right now is um, uh, how much like change, like systemic change needs to happen, mm. right? Um, in, in the way we do things, we need to, in the NEJ, change how we do our elections we need to change of bishops we need to change how we do our conferencing so that it is holy yeah conferencing so that it could be holy conferencing um we need to um all of us like uh step up and reach out beyond our communities beyond like beyond our local church communities and be in relationship we 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 have this this mindset of like um local churches can't like uh, can't be in partnership or in ministry with each other because we're competing with each other um and in some cases, it's hard when, like, you got two Methodist churches, two United Methodist churches on the same corner. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, so some stuff might need to change there. Uh, but, like, man, like, imagine what our witness could be if, like, we, like, did, like... <laughs> I talked about annual conference, charge conferences, jurisdictional conference as kind of like this huddle mm -hmm. in, uh, in in football, right? Uh, and I think problem part of the problem is we have the huddle, and then we don't run the play. We don't do the play. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if we like had the huddle, and then did the play. <laughs> um that that could and then we see what happened when we run the play and we come back to the huddle and we're like okay we regroup we go back and we do another play and we just keep doing it like that and uh that could be like really powerful it would wow. be really powerful um really uh transformative um wow. yeah so i've got you here we've been talking for a minute but so as, as of today's recording, uh, some news dropped mm -hmm. that uh, Bishop Mark Webb, uh, the news I saw is that he resigned from the UMC um, mm -hmm. and from the Episcopacy, obviously, then, um, and is going to be uh, a bishop for the Global Methodist Church. Yes. Initial thoughts. Um. On the one hand, like I'm not surprised at all. Like, uh, you know, new like when when someone says what they're going to do something, we shouldn't be uh, surprised when they go do it. 
Um, and this is like he he, he said back in uh, right before the pandemic, actually, that like when uh, like when the like a more traditional expression of Methodism emerges, uh, I will go there. And, you know, he went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, uh, so with him being like my bishop, um, I've uh, uh, for the past 10 years. Um, he has been your bishop for the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have seen a lot and heard a lot uh, and shared uh, in a lot of uh, pain with others and and hurt with others. Um, And honestly, like, I, I, I wish him go with grace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, like I have questions about like, okay, you said you were, you initially said you were retiring from the United Methodist church and now you're resigning from the United Methodist church. That's a, that's a interest. That's a, there's a distinction there. Like, yeah. When you retire from the United Methodist Church as a bishop, you get a very nice pension. Um, are you like keeping that very nice pension, or are you like going full throat with the GMC? You know, uh, that's um, a. And you know, that's a question. And again, the reports that I'm seeing is that uh, he has resigned and withdrawn from the denomination. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that change of language, because I thought I heard retire oh, he, a he, little bit ago as well. Yeah, he, he retired and we uh, we celebrated and affirmed and voted on his retirement yeah. in uh, Jurisdictional Conference 2022. So it, it'll be interesting to see if that ch- that change of um, language matters mm-hmm. um, to things like pensions. And not to say that he has not earned the sure. pension oh, sure. right for sure but it's it's the 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 quality of the of the departure i think that yeah we're, we're concerned about i i, I won't make you <laughs> speak anything you've literally had a couple hours yeah. <laughs> to reflect yeah. on that news so i just knew that we were going to be together uh with that news book so yeah. He is, uh, he's he's my he's my brother in christ uh and i love him as mm-hmm. as my brother in christ and I disagree with him theologically on a bunch of issues, and uh, there is a lot of actions that he's taken that have been uh, very problematic and, yeah. and harmful. And uh, I that's that's part of like holding both of those things at our an intention at once. Yeah, which I mean, I think that we often even feel that way, though it's a little bit more of the huddle in your uh, description when we're sitting in conference and we, someone that we know slash respect slash love, you know, uh, not just votes in a way that we disagree, but, but goes to the floor and speaks to something and even uses language 
that is hurtful slash harmful. Yeah. Um, and, and living in that tension of, I love you as a sibling in Christ, and as a sibling in Christ, I'm ready to wrestle you to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I just appreciate you, Ian, and just your, your, again, your thoughtfulness, your wealth of knowledge, and your, your desire to hold an honest reflection, recognizing that you're not the only voice in the room, which is probably because in, on some level, that's what we black and brown people always have to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I'm appreciating that and also naming that some of it's probably out of survival uh, as much as it's uh, out of um, trying to just do, do the thing that we have to do, keep people at the table. We've got 2024 in a year and a half less from mm-hmm. where we are from this recording. What are you seeing and what are you hoping for? And I'll combine this. So we've got 20, General Conference 2024. We've got the future of United Methodism, mm-hmm. particularly in the US. What are you seeing coming for us? That's a little more 2024. What are you hoping for? That's more the broader future. Um, what what What's in you for that? Yeah. I mean, what am I seeing down the line uh, as far as like 2024 goes? I, there's, uh, I mean, I've got a whole book that might be up here. Yeah, I think it's up here uh, of legislation from like that was supposed to be considered at 2020. Mm-hmm. All of that has to be considered uh, in 2024. And, and, you know, <laughs> they can receive more. They're like, they're, they can yeah. Get yeah. So we're probably going to get, I, I don't know what the, Commission on a general conference is going to be doing uh, as far as that goes. I we know, got supplements coming, man. We got supplements <laughs> coming. I, I uh, send a send a prayer for for all of them. We didn't talk any any at all about like these general conference committees that like make general conference happen. Um, but the that's, commission that's on the general conference is a big one. Um, so send prayers up for them uh, yeah. and those and those uh, people serving in those roles um, who <laughs> have been serving since 2016. Like that's, I mean, we we have not had a like regular general conference. We will not have had a regular conference, general conference in almost 10 years. Right. Yeah. It, like right. Almost, almost a full decade uh, between 2016 and 2024. That's that. Like two full quadrillions. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, that just doesn't. We're not supposed to run that way, right? Right. Um, so, as far as like, what do I see is going to happen? I don't know. I like. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the protocol is uh, uh, dead on arrival at this point. Where like that was that was a very 2020 thing, and I don't I don't think we're there anymore. Mm. Um, I. Hope that there is like, uh, I, 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 no, sorry. Uh, I see like some extension of like exit strategy, like right as it stands right now, uh, December 31st, 2023 is the deadline for like churches to leave under the traditional plan, which mm-hmm. is how traditionalist churches are leaving, are through those provisions um, and through those very, uh, you know, uh, 
depending on your annual conference, like just based on the discipline, like it's very uh, affordable mm-hmm. to, to leave under the traditional plan stuff. Uh, that that sunsets December 31st. Uh, I, I see some sort of extension on that to keep that going. Um, I certainly hope that we can become, uh, that we live into the inclusive church that we are called to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but more like broadly, philosophically, like my theologically even like my hope for all of us in our denomination is that we can that we can be the disciples that we are supposed to be um, that we can reflect the light and love of Christ throughout the world so that disciples are called and the world is transformed We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar the Conference is produced by the team in Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.